talk to experts that you're not an expert of. Whatever that world is, find the expert that you can trust. And the key word there is trust, because my world is about trust. If you don't trust me, you will not give me your money. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great to us listeners, if you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial cap and gain taxes. One option that may help solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches involved with being an active landlord. Ray DeWitt is a managing director with Bantanger Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all the rules associated with the 1031 exchanges. To learn more, visit their website at bantangerfinancials.com and browse the library of education material. Please be sure to see the disclosures and show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to a wealth management expert from beautiful state of California, Elliot Callan. Elliot, how are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. I know I have not had much time to talk to you before, but just catching up with you off air seemed like I've known you for a long time. Your messaging is a lot good. I've seen a bunch of your work, Elliot. I know you're an author. You're managing three different firms. One of them is really impact-driven, which is also very close to our own heart and soul of this company that we work in, Migrate to Wealth. We have our own foundation for that as well. I love the work you do. I love the conversation. Let's just kind of continue that conversation on air now. Great. I'm looking forward to this. Awesome. Elliot, so why don't we start with a question. When you heard the word migrate to wealth, what do you think about that word? So when I think of wealth for the average person, and wealth is not really average. Those words should even be the same sentence. And I'm a first-generation American. I think there are three pillars to wealth. And when I think of wealth, I'm talking about money for the moment or riches. Mm -hmm. And I think first is the accumulation phase. How am I going to accumulate wealth? How do I put it together? How do I not lose my family along the way, not lose my soul along the way, but accumulate wealth? And then I think of the second pillar is, how do I not lose what I have? Mm -hmm. In other words, I've changed from grow, go, growth, and I want to build something up, and I'm going to sacrifice every day of the week for my financial goal here. Phase two of the second pillar is, how do I keep it and expand it at a reasonable rate that I don't blow up personally in? Mm-hmm. nor does my marriage or my family blow up personally in. And then phase three of wealth is now, how do I distribute the wealth? Because if I've died with all my wealth, nobody's going to put that on the tombstone. Boy, he died with all his wealth, lucky man. So that's not a good outcome for anybody. So how do I distribute it? And now we're talking about the end of your life, which could be 20 or 30 years. It's not the last two years, but it could be, how do I have an impact on society that's so positive or an impact on my family that's so positive that they are talking about me for years and years to come in a most positive way, not being cheap, not being selfish, but wow, he made a difference with everything he touched. Dude, that's awesome. I love the definition of wealth. Let's just report those four phases. We're talking about accumulating wealth, making sure you protect it and expand it, making sure you have a way to distribute it, And of course, last but not the least, create the impact on not just my family, but everyone else around me. I I love that framework. I think you owe it to society to not just be an accumulator. We live in such a me-oriented world. I'm in California. 
it's probably a little bit less where you are in Raleigh, but here it, it's the ultimate me world, the state of California. Yeah. If you're driving a Porsche Target, you're driving a Porsche Panorama, I need a 911. I mean, we're so materialistic in California, which is the wrong way to think at society, but we're forced into that and TV doesn't help and movies yeah. don't help. There's a greater good. What are we making the money for? Now, the greater could be our own family. It does mm -hmm. not have to be that I want to build a hospital wing. Yeah. But there's got to be something greater good besides yourself. Correct. No, I agree. Completely agree. Man. As we look at life and the term wealth in similar but a little different way, what we always say is that there are four dimensions of life that you have to bring balance into. The first dimension being your mind. You have to make sure your mindset is set right because no matter, you could be a billionaire or you could be a beggar. If your mindset is not aligned to what your reality is and where you want to go, you're going to suffer both. Second is your health, right? Kind of like if you don't have a healthy body, no matter how much money you have, and I always go back to the example of Steve Jobs, right? All the money couldn't get him to health. Right? He uh, passed away with a cancer, which is kind of sad when you look at it, like all this money, and the guy is amazing. He has made such a big impact in the world in terms of his dent in the universe was the stuff that we're talking about and all that stuff, we're still using that stuff. And really the third dimension there is relationships for us. So those three aspects are very important. When we say somebody's trying to create wealth, we're trying to say you're creating richness in all these environments. I know we were talking about off air about Indian wedding that you recently attended, the richness of the culture, the richness of the relationship. Not that it doesn't exist in other countries. Of course, I'm from India, so I'm biased. That's where I grew up. So definitely there's a lot of importance that's put in the personal relationships. Again, no society is perfect. Every society's got its own issue. Every relationship has got an issue, but a lot of emphasis in trying to put into what my relationship is. The next component is, okay, money. Money is needed, right? So don't let anyone fool that money is not needed. I'm not going to say that you can live as a hermit through your entire life and have your right mind, your right body, and your right relationship, and you'll be fine forever. No, you won't be. You may be, but let's make sure we give homage to the aspect of life, which is money, which buys you what? Does it buy you a Porsche 911? Does it buy you a Ferrari? Or does it buy you time, right? Because if it buys you time, now you've created an ultimate freedom. Because if it buys you time, now you can focus on everything else that's important for you. But if you don't have the money and the freedom of time, you're kind of stuck, right? Which happens to a lot of our people who are businessmen or nine-to-five workers and what all. They're all trading time for money, which is fine to a certain extent. And that goes back to your accumulation phase. Maybe it's fine for the accumulation phase that you have to do that. But you have to make sure that you can keep checks and balances in place. And last but not the least for us is also impact. And we're looking at all these things are, they're not sequential. They have to all play the role at the same time. Now, some vector in your life, at some point when you're in the accumulation phase, maybe your vector of money goes up because there's only so much time we have to make that money. So I'm like maybe your vector goes a little bit off balance on that, but then you bring it balanced back in life and relationships and everything. So I think we're talking the same language. We just use different words. So I love that definition from you. So now let's talk about where are you in your wealth journey, Elliot? No, that's a great question. I rarely get asked that. I want to give you one more perspective on balance because I think you're so spot on with what you've said. I love the mind and the body. Let me give you another way of looking at it also. And that is that I think there are three balls in the air that you are juggling all the time. Mm -hmm. One is your family. So I mean, you yeah. have a family, you're trying to be a great parent all the time to your kids because we owe it to them. We brought them in the world. They don't owe it to us. Right. We owe it to them. Right. You're trying to be a great spouse all the time or a competent yeah. spouse. 
want to be on your third marriage or fourth marriage into this because you're so rich you've married four times because you're completely dysfunctional at home yeah. that's not healthy either yeah and that's a little bit even jobs in there unfortunately yeah. for him and then you've got you want to be a great entrepreneur mm-hmm. and accumulate that wealth that we're talking about it is impossible to be on any given day great at all of them no yeah so, you're right 100 so it's like every day you are out of balance every right. day of the week you're out of balance correct and so the best I could do when I think about it is work every day at trying to get back to balance, but something has to give in that balance every day. And so I cannot be a great dad and a great husband and be a great entrepreneur. I have to probably not be at work because I've got to be a soccer or hockey games or something else going on. Yeah. And Saturday night when I need to take my wife and show her that I care about her or Friday and Saturday night and not just some other time. I need to forget everything because that has to be the number one priority or I'm going to be divorced. So you're always out of balance. And for entrepreneurs and people that are listening to this, it is okay to be out of balance, but it's not okay to remain out of balance. 100%. I couldn't have said it better. You need to make things are going to get off balance. If you're trying to keep everything in balance all the time, you're going to go crazy. And that's not a healthy way of looking either. Now, when you're, I think the example that you said I loved, which is, when you're with your spouse, you're with your spouse. With your employees or your coworkers, you're at the work as well. Right? You give your 100% at that time. What our spouses and what our kids are craving for, and I've never really gone out and asked my wife and kids that question, but I'm assuming they're not looking for quantity of the time. They're looking for the quality of the time. When we're with our spouses and family, we're thinking about work, we're not there. We may be spending 10 hours a day with my kids and family, but if all I'm thinking about is work, that's not the quality, right? So it's kind of like when I was launching my business, which happened last December, when I launched it full-time and I left my job, one of the advice that one of my mentors gave me is that that same thing. Don't worry about spending five hours with your kids every day. Spend half an hour, but make that half an hour count, right? And that's exactly what we were saying is that you have to figure out what balance means for you. And everyone's going to define it differently. Is it a daily balance? Is it a weekly balance? Is it a monthly balance? You have to make sure at the end of whatever time frame you pick, you're happy with the score you're giving yourself because nobody else can give you the score. You know internally, were you a great dad for X number of days, X number of weeks, X number of months? You figure out your time frame and you were not. You reflect on that and figure out, is that important to you? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Who am I to say that it's important? If it's important, something's got to change. Only you can figure that out. So thank you for bringing that up, Elliot. I really, really appreciate that. I put a lot of emphasis on that for my life. I'm not perfect. If you ask my wife and kids, my life's all off balance. That is a constant work in progress for me. But I like the reminder by talking to people like yourself, like, you know what? There's nothing perfect balance. We'll just do our best every day to keep all the balls in the air. Let's not drop any ball. And you remember their job is to keep you grounded. Oh my God. They do that job very well, my friend. (laughs) <laughs> Very well. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about your journey about wealth, man. Where are you in your journey? That's a really terrific question on where am I? I feel like I'm always in the growth phase. Yeah. I'm always go, go growth. So coming out of the New York market where I grew up from the better part of my young life, and my dad was a small business person that was always working hard, kind of on a treadmill in a lot of ways and didn't have a lot of success, made enough money to put two of his three kids through college. I didn't need his money, but it cost him the better part of his life to do that. Yeah. And his health. he came from the Depression and World War II, where he was taught that life is work and work is life. And everything else is kind of fooling around. Yeah. Now, that's terrible. 
but they talk that. And so for me, it has always been in growth. I've always wanted to grow the businesses, but I had when I was growing, I sold three companies already. I've started and sold three companies along the way. But in this company that I started 30 years ago in California, it started at the same time my twins were born. And then I had another one after 16 months later, another son. But it also started when my marriage began to slowly unravel on that. So I got out of balance. And so when your marriage starts to slowly unravel, you work at putting your balance back together by working more, which only exacerbates the problem you're already in. I ended up divorced for no cause of any one particular reason, but I never wanted that to happen the rest of my life again. I knew that I'll never get divorced again if I'm in control of this, which you're not always in control of that. But I knew that. But what I decided at that moment is because when my kids were young, which were, they were really young, seven, seven, and six, that's really young, is that I would not put them in daycare. I would leave work at three o'clock on the days I had them, which was about 70% of the time, yeah. and I would pick them up. And I would be involved in their lives, every step, sports, after school activities, whatever it is. Yeah. And I paid that price at work because other people, and I grew up quickly, but I knew I could have grown faster if I just kept working. And here's a really interesting thing that happened, Saki. About three years later, my twin daughter was 10. Mm-hmm. And we were talking one day. She said, you know, Dad, I think you're a much better father because you're divorced. You gave me a puzzled look. That's kind of the look I gave her, like, really? And she said, you know, because if you were still married to mom, every minute, spare minute of the day, you would want to work. That's a fair point. How old was that child when she, he or she said that? At 10. Oh, my God. That's so, I'm just amazed. So that's amazing. So think about it even more like, okay, I'm even more committed to being a great father. When I'm not going to be working, I'm going to be working on my body. I'm working on my work first and I'll fit my body in there somewhere. And I'll try to work on my mind, but you can't do all those things. It's impossible to do that. So it's been an interesting journey to success. Some people would call me very successful. I would think I'm still kind of in the infancy of success, but I have a hard time defining it. But I know people looking in at me would have a very definition of me than I would looking out. So I understand that as well. And that's really what that matters, right? Because you probably don't, people could consider you a success or failure. It really doesn't matter. It really matters what your, how do you define yourself, right? And if you're feeling that you have a lot of room to grow and that's what success, for me, I know, doesn't matter where I am in my life, I'll never stabilize. I'll give you an example for that. In the last 25 years, I've moved, last 23 years in the US, I've moved 25 times. I just love change, right? So for me, it doesn't matter where I am in my life, doesn't matter how much money I have, doesn't matter how much success I have in my business, I will find a way to create a chaos in my life to change something so that I'm always growing and always moving. So my successfulness will never end because I'll always create a different challenge that I want to address, right? So for me, and people call me crazy. They don't call me successful. They call me crazy. Like you're insane, Saket, because you're always looking for something else to do. But that's what I like to do. I mean, I care what people think to a certain extent, but I don't because they don't know my life. They don't know me. Greatness has come over in history by people who are unsatisfied in their current position. I would consider myself very unsatisfied in a world of status. If you said, I love that you're in a status quo hold in your life, I would consider that a great insult. Yeah. Really? Is that how I came across? So I'm yearning to get better at so many things. And it's not just work. I just recently wrote a book. It's now an Amazon bestseller book in the financial world. Congratulations. 
Thank you. It's called Driven, D-R-I-V-E-N with mine by Maine. I couldn't register the name because there's so many books called Driven, but yeah. about the path of leadership and entrepreneurship. And a lot of what you talked about with mind and body and spirit are in there and doing something more important than you. But what I love about it is every day when my wife and I have the conversation at night, when I work on separating my day from my night, I do, we talk about what's the next step for us. What mm-hmm. is the next step for us besides work? And we talk about mastering a language or two. We talk about going to that country to master that country. I lived in Europe for some time. So for me, Europe is second nature of going there and being part of that. And then mastering food and cooking and wine and things like that. How do we do this at the master level rather than just work? Because work for me is every day I'm passionate. I love what I do, but I can't take it to the grave. You can't. But things for my family that I do, like what I just mentioned with travel and entertainment and great food and great wine and touching people with charitable works. Those are things that enriching life. You're so far ahead of money. If you can work on those things first. Isn't that the truth, Elliot? So Elliot, let us understand. Let's take a step forward in terms of, I know your day job is when you're spending time with the family and other charity work, you run a wealth management firm, right? Tell us when somebody comes to you, how are you talking to them about wealth? Why are they coming to you? The first thing we talk about is what they've done to accumulate the wealth. And so where are they in those pillars of life? So yeah. if that's their accumulation phase, they're talking to a financial expert. And the first thing that I would always recommend to people is talk to experts that you're not an expert of. Sure. So if I want to be an expert podcaster, I want to talk to you over a cup of coffee because yeah. I want to talk to somebody that's doing it. I'm in the financial world, lawyer world, doctor world, whatever that world is, find the expert that you can trust. And the key word there is trust, because my world is about trust. If you don't trust me, you will not give me your money. That's just how it is. Correct. So we create a plan for that person of where they're going, depending on the phase they're in. And we talk to them about what's most important to them in their life. We find out what the financial goals are and what the personal Mm -hmm. goals are and how they come together with each other. So I'm going to find out that you have two children, that you live in Raleigh, that your goal is to live in Raleigh for the rest of your life because you love Raleigh. And I'm making that up because I actually don't know that, but you love Raleigh. You love North Carolina, correct? whatever it is. You love the trees and you love the closest to the beach, the closest to the woods at the same time. And you're in an area with a lot of technology and a lot of thinking is going on, a lot of creativity and ingenuity is going on that you can have an impact on. These are wonderful things. And then how can you have an impact on those people? What are you doing to do that? But if you're at the phase of life that's a little bit older, and now it's like, look, I've accumulated this wonderful nest egg. I don't want to mess it up. We have a whole different conversation of what we can do to secure that and protect that, but still have it grow. You still want to beat inflation. But if you're coming to me at 65, 70 years old, and you're ready to sell your company, you're ready to retire, you're ready to go to the next phase, you're ready to turn your company over to the next generation, whatever that is, then we're gonna talk about what you're gonna do now because the majority of seniors in retirement, it's a really sad statement here, spend four hours a day watching TV. Wow. That's the majority. The average senior in this country watches four hours a day, not a week or a day of television. And that's not a retirement plan. No. We don't want that. No, 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 we don't want that. Because the moment you stop so to start have, doing that, you're heading towards grave much faster than you need to. So maybe it's travel. You want to travel. We talk about where, when, what to travel. For me, it's travel 
eating, cooking great food and eating great food. It's buying great wine and drinking great wine. Those are my three big passions right. outside of family and things I do. Where can I do that? Well, where can you do that? You don't have to have my passions. It's your passions. Maybe your passion is wealth. Excuse me, is golf. Where do you want to play golf? Well, I moved to the Carolinas because I want to play in some of the best East Coast golf courses. Mm -hmm. And they're definitely in the Carolinas, some of the best. If not, you're within a one-hour plane ride of the rest definitely. of them, basically. Yeah. But maybe that's not important. Maybe your children or your grandchildren are most important. So what kind of impact can you have on your grandchildren? Probably if you're in your 60s, you have adult children. And so maybe they don't need your help, but their children could really use your help. And you could create a legacy for your grandchildren that you didn't have the opportunity to receive from your grandparents. My God, man, Elliot, it's very, I like the way you start the engagement, right? Which is more around, what do you want your life to look at, depending on wherever you are today, right? That will probably change. Whatever they're telling you at 20s and 30s is going to be very different than they tell you at 60s and 70s. The plan evolves. That's one thing I've learned is plans are never solid. Plans are always going to change, and that's okay, but you need to have a plan, and it's okay to change that plan. There's nothing wrong with that, but as long as you're changing it for the right reasons. So I like that. Now, in your experience, when you ask people that question, it's the starting point for anything, right? Because if you don't know where you want to go to, any road will leave you there, lead you there. So yeah, you'll arrive somewhere, whatever the destination is, is that where you really want to be? if you had your choice. So you want to have the destination. Do most people know the answer to that question? No, they don't. And that's my job. My job is to help you define what success in retirement looks like, what financial goals are worth developing. And I use myself as that example of mm -hmm. my passions there. Because 10 years ago, I sat down with my wife and I said, you know, I do this for a living. So let's come up with our own passions. And we started to look at what we do. We bicycle. Is that a passion? No. We love food and wine. That's a passion. We play golf. Is that a passion? No. We like golf. We began to find mm. it. So that if we couldn't bike anymore, would we be okay? Yes. If we couldn't mountain climb anymore, would we be okay? Yes. If we couldn't go on a cruise ship ever in our lives because something happened at cruises, would we be okay? Yes. So we narrowed that down and that's what I do. That exercise mm. that I did with my wife is the exercise that I do with every client. Awesome. What are some of the top passions that you end up seeing? I'm more interested well, in that answer now. Like what are the common intersection, are there intersection points that you see the top three, four, five keep coming up? Well, there's no question about it. The travel is number one. People want to go, they have now a little bit of time. Before that they were accumulating, maybe they got two, three weeks off a year and maybe they have to bring their laptop with them every time they went away. We're never really free. And right. so I just had some clients yesterday in my office, two single ladies that are talking about retirement. And we talked about going to South America, going here, spending more time in Thailand. It's amazing what they wanted to accomplish. Yeah. For them, travel was number one. Number two for them, they don't care about hiking. They didn't care about biking. Number two for them is when they're traveling, they want to enjoy the process of local food mm. that's extraordinary. Yeah. So if they're in Thailand, they want great Thai food. They're in Peru, they want great Peruvian food. They don't want to stay at the Marriott or the Hilton mm -hmm. in Lima, Peru. They want to stay at a Peruvian hotel, which right. gives them some interesting food to eat or whatever they're going to eat. That was important to them. So you find that great food is probably number two. I want to enjoy this life. For me, wine was right in there because I have a thousand bottle wine room and yeah. I love wine. Oh, wow. Big thousand red. bottle wine room. I want to see that. Thousand bottle wine room. 
Mm. We can do that off air. I'll send it to you. Uh, <laughs> it's very exciting what we're doing here. And I'm going to put that number four becomes spending time with the next generation. Yeah. So that's really important to a lot of people because they've never traveled. When their kids were young, they were busy working. Yeah. They now want to spend it with the next generation when they have time. And their children live in a world where it takes two incomes to just about do everything. Correct. And so they can help out a lot. I love that, man. I love that. So now let's take a quick detour from that. So now you've figured out their, their goal in life. What's usually the next step from there? Then we talk about what we're going to do with the current assets. So how do we take your current money, current wealth, and get that to work as hard for you today as you worked to accumulate it? Let's go a little bit deeper into that. How do we know? So for example, you could go, you know what, for you, Socket, given where you are, just stay in index funds or mutual funds and you'll be fine. I don't know if that's the answer, but maybe that's the answer. For somebody else who comes in, you know what, you're already 100% in stocks and bonds. Why don't we move some of you? You need to go buy some real estate because there's some tax benefits to it. For somebody else, it could be you need to buy oil and gas because you're paying too much money in active income taxes. How do you look at these things? Is it predominantly a stock market approach? Do you have a belief in an asset class that you feel strongly because a lot of that is you have to also be able to understand and manage that money given the your role and responsibility. How does that work for each client? So I wanted you to think of all the tools, all the products you mentioned, and you could throw annuities in there too as a product that can be mentioned all together, whether you love them or hate them. All of these products are tools in a toolbox. Mm -hmm. And depending on what you need from that toolbox is how we're going to use the tool. Love it. So if somebody is a low risk person, then we're going to come up with tools that generate income for them because they don't sure. want their principal to move. They want income to go down there. And then maybe they're a little bit more balanced or conservative, or they move up to growthy oriented person, or they're even aggressive. I have two 80 plus year old women that yell at me all the time that I'm not being aggressive enough with them. Yeah, very funny. <laughs> and, and so we work on that. So everything belongs in a toolbox. Yeah. You just use it appropriately. I mean, if you're 60 years old, what are you doing accumulating real estate at right. 60? Why? No, that's so point. individual stocks may be the answer. I'd rather see you in a low cost mutual funds or ETFs. If I were to mm -hmm. pick two products there, I think that's a better way to diversify. But you've also got alternative stuff. You need to find products that zig while the rest of the portfolio zags and vice versa, because in a 2022 and a 2028, if you're completely exposed to stocks, you might have a 40% correction yeah. and you don't have enough time to make it back. So right. you can make a lot of money in a portfolio by not having a heart attack in your portfolio, by not blowing up. And that would be tools. So I'm a big fan of different alternatives, big fan for spreading your money around, outcome-based investing. So I know this can get a six to 8%. I want to go there. This is probably going to generate closer to double digits on a three-year rolling average. This is going to generate five to six in income on a three-year rolling average. Those are different ways of doing that without getting into the depth of a product. I want you to think, if I don't think of all these tools as products, then I'm a, ha I'm a hammer and everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And I'm that single product and I don't want that. I love that, Elliot. And that's why I picked you to come on the show is a lot of financial advisors and wealth managers are pitching this one solution for a lot of the clients, which is just put your money in the market, which is fine. I think you should and you can, but it may not be a solution for everything. So we have to make sure what problem we're addressing. So I love that you're talking about these are tools in your arsenal. You want to make sure the right tool is being addressed for right reasons and not every tool works for everyone. 
We have to make sure you work with somebody who understands those tools, who has the reach for those tools, and is able to explain to you as an investor what those tools are and why it's being used versus just trust me, this works, because that's probably never the right way approach anyways. Right. And we're an independent RIA firm, registered investment advisory firm. We are fiduciaries on everything. Yeah. We are going to find what works for you. And we're not going to be static about it either. Yeah. We're going to say, we're going to watch these portfolios every single day of the week. They pop up on my screen Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure we're doing the right thing. Because what worked in 2022 will almost definitely not work in 23. Yeah. The old world was buy, hold, and 60, 40, and Correct. just buy, don't even look at it, just keep putting your money away. Yeah. That theory's gone. You have to be active. You have to be on top of it. You have to be researching. You want to be where the market's going, not where the market's been, as an example. Right. That's really key, is don't look at what happened yesterday. Look at what's happening tomorrow, and how can you yeah. be part of it? It's a little bit of crystal ball investing, mm-hmm. but it works. So, Elliot, I think in the interest of time here, it's somebody who has never planned anything in life in terms of wealth, right? So let's say there's a, there's a hardcore techie who is making good money, but they never had to really think about organizing and managing their wealth. What's the first thing they should do? I'd seek out professional advice. Of course, they could reach out to well, you. That's one solution. I would so- love that. I have clients in about 30 different states. But really, don't just look at credentials. I've got all my credentials. I've been doing this three years. I don't know how many licenses I have and you know, a whole team of battery of attorneys and accountants and CFPs. I have all those on staff here. Yeah. We have that. But the big word is not that. It's not you expect competency from me. I expect competency from you. That's mm. the easy part. What you need is trust. Yeah. Competency and trust. So if I lose you by accident, because the market went down last year to 15%. But we're talking about it, you see them working on it, you're probably gonna give me the benefit of the doubt, like, okay, everything went down. We went market went down by 20, he's down 15, he's working on it. But if you go up by 40% this year, but you don't trust me, you'll still leave me. Yeah. Trust is a key word. You're raising your children, and I know your children are a little younger than mine. If you don't trust your children, you don't believe what they're telling you, how do you make decisions about them? Correct. Yeah, and so that's the same thing. We tell our clients, everything we do, bi-weekly mailings, education dinners five times a year, conversations, Zoom. The best part about COVID was Zoom is basically, Zoom became a mainstream thing. They create trust so you can see me, you can look into my eyes. Is it perfect? Of course not. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. We know that already. But you tend to look at somebody and know that they're doing the right thing for you and not for them. We're a fee-only advisory firm. And I tell people, look, I may be moving your portfolio around six times a quarter, depending on taxes, of course, but I may be moving that around, none of which I make any more money on. We don't get paid a transaction fee. So it's in your interest that I'm doing this. And so we're on the same side of the table all the time. I love that. And in the interest of the time, I think I'm trying to make sure that I know you have a hard stuff as well. So I'm going to manage that for you. Towards the end of the show, we always end the show with two questions. One is, looking back in your life, you've had a very rich life, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, more ups than downs, hopefully. If you were to go back to your 20-year-old self, what's one insight you'll give that person? I think when I was 20, and every 20-year-old, they think they'd have every answer in the world. You don't really need advice. I went to my father. So my father was already at the end of his life. He was sick. He was dying. I didn't understand that. I was in college. And you know, when you're 20, you're still very self-absorbed. You think you're smarter than everybody around you. 
Yeah. And I was an accounting major and an economics major. And he said, Elliot, I was at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And he said, Elliot, don't become an accountant. That's not you. Become an economist if that's what you want. You're mm -hmm. too outgoing. You've got too big of a personality. You're going to want to be in front of a camera one day. That's where you need to be. And I thought, what do you know? Just what do you know? I have a job at a big eight accounting firm in front waiting for me. That, and I can get paid immediately in economics. I got to go get a master's in economics, right. maybe a PhD. I went the accounting route. He was dead on. I was dead wrong. So mm. listen to people with valued advice. It's still your opinion, it's still your life, but seek out valued advice from people with life experience yeah. that can give that to you. And keep in mind, they always give it to you from their perspective, not necessarily yours. But I wish I was better at listening to people around me at 20 or even 30, because I would be a lot smarter today. And you have to, right? And you have to listen to all perspectives. Now you can still make your own decision. But ignoring perspective doesn't necessarily help. It's taking that perspective into consideration. Now you've made a knowledgeable decision. But in a 20-year-old self, man, I think it's more, the ego is so high at that point. Life, you're immortal, you're top of the world, like the world revolves around you or the universe revolves around you. That's a harder thing. But I think your advice well taken. It's probably true for any age. It's not just for the 20-year-old. At any point, if you're seeking advice, keep that into perspective. Don't ignore it or implement their advice. Just at least keep that in perspective. Yeah. At business school at Rutgers, and here in the theory, they were 100% wrong. This has changed 180 degrees since I went to college. They said, when you're going into business for yourself or you become an entrepreneur, you become a senior manager of a large company, whatever you decide to do, you work on your weaknesses, improve your weaknesses, and hire to strengths. No. Of course yeah. that was backwards, but that's what they were teaching then. Yeah. You never do that. You work on your strength and you hire out to your weaknesses. So if you can admit to yourself that I am a leader, I'm a driver, and I can develop good. Uh, I love that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And admit that you stink at accounting. Hire an accountant. <laughs> Don't do it. Well, I, Don't I sit completely down and agree. Completely yeah. agree. Completely agree. Who, not how. We need to figure out who do we need to help us and then hire them sooner than later. Last question, Elliot, in the interest of time again is, where do you feel like humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next two or three decades? So we live in a very interesting world. Let's get out of our own skin on that question, if I could, my skin at least. My skin would be, again, that me-centric skin. Let's get out of the we, into the we world. Mm -hmm. How do we as an overall society do better? Mm -hmm. My fear at this moment is that in the next generation is they're going to be going to war with China. And that's a horrible fear to have. But I see so many parallels of the 1920s and Japan with our time with China and global domination. So if we can work on improving ourselves and understand our part as a leader in the U.S. and a leader globally, then we're going to help drive the world into a better place. And you yeah. don't have to crush other societies to do that. And we've done some bad stuff in the 70s and 80s doing that, especially in Central and South America. But we can do that. If things are out of control and thing, and stuff, bad stuff happens with China, it does. It's out of your control anyway, All right? just like it was in the 30s and the 40s. Mm -hmm. But if not, let's be better at what we do so we're more prepared to handle the obstacles yeah. that hit us. So when a meteor comes in, we're better at dealing with it because it will come in. I love that, right? Because you can't control what's happening outside. You can only control how you react to it. What's your response to it? Are you ready for it or not? Because stuff's going to happen, which you have no control or influence on. 
So that point, I love that answer, Elliot. Thank you for doing that. Elliot, man, I could go on on this conversation. I wish we had another three hours for this conversation. But we don't, which is a good thing, because otherwise we will use all those three hours. So <laughs> on that note, if people were to find you, where can they find you if they want to work with you and do learn more about what you do? Where can they find you? Great. Thank you for having me on. The website is prosperityfinancialgroup.com. My email is Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, at prosperityfinancialgroup.com. And my cell, best place to reach me, Pacific time zone, is 510-206-1103. Perfect, man. We'll make sure. And I urge everyone to go check out that book for the man who spent so much insights in 40 minutes. You can only imagine what he threw out in that book driven. I'm assuming you'll find that on Amazon because it's an Amazon bestseller. Well, Alia, thank you again for the call, man. I'm pretty sure we will set up another time to have you back. Love that. Thank you so much. Take care, buddy. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.